turn in your Bibles to Matthew chapter 5. This morning, uh, we're going to continue our study. Um, I know I've said it quite a few times in the last uh, weeks. Uh, we are looking at the book of Matthew, and Jesus has already established uh, really the message, and the meth- message is that of repentance and repent now. Um, that word repentance, I hope that we get used to it, not in a sense that we forget its meaning. Um, we, we may not use the word repent or repentance in our everyday language. Uh, and if we do, we may not know what it means. But what it, what it is, it's the idea of knowing that we're wrong. Knowing, but don't stop there. Don't stop there. Um, some, of, some of us get a little uh, surprised when we're wrong. Uh, we're right so often, and we think of ourselves as right so often, that when we're really wrong, it surprises us. And most of us uh, even fight a little bit about that because we can't, I, I just can't imagine that I would be wrong. Uh, but I want to encourage you to embla- embrace your wrongness. Uh, get used to saying, I'm wrong. Let's do it right now. I'm wrong. I'm wrong. I'm wrong. Uh, your wife just passed out. She'd never heard you say that before. Uh, she never heard you say that before. No, you know who you are. Um, but I'm wrong. Get, get used to saying that. But that's not repentance. I just want to tell you, that's not repentance. Just that you're wrong. It, it's, I, I'm wrong and I need to change. I need to change. And so the message that John the Baptist preached, the message that Jesus preached and is preaching is one of change that he wants to change you. Um, we should see this all the time in our lives as we're looking around, as we're sinning, that we should be uh, in conversation with the Lord saying, Lord, I'm wrong. I sinned against you. I, I did this wrong. I haven't obeyed you. I haven't honored you. I did this wrong. Change me. I'm willing to change. I want to change. Please change me. That That's the message of repentance. And this morning... Um, we come to a passage um, that is one of change once again. So let's just get into this. Uh, this is what God's Word says. If you'd stand in honor of God's Word, I'd like to read to you chapter 5, verses 17 through 20. Jesus said this. He says, Do not think that I have come to abolish the law or the prophets. I have not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. For truly I say to you, until heaven and earth pass away, not an iota nor a dot will pass away from the law until all is accomplished. Therefore, whoever relaxes one of the least of these commandments and teaches others to do the same will be called least in the kingdom of heaven. But whoever does them and teaches them will be called great in the kingdom of heaven. For I tell you, unless your righteousness exceeds that of the scribes and the Pharisees, you'll never enter the kingdom of heaven. And God, we ask your blessing on our time. We do ask that your word uh, would sink into us, that we would be uh, not just feel bad uh, for who we are, uh, but that we would be willing to change and that your word would change us. Your spirit who inspired the word of God, uh, your word would change us. 
Uh, God, do your work in us now, we pray. We welcome it. We, we ask for it. We beg you. Thank you for this morning in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. Jesus is talking about, he's speaking about his kingdom. And it's different. It's different. And he takes uh, that which is familiar and he says, let me show you how it really is. And more importantly, how it is in my kingdom. In verse 17, he says, do not think that I have come to abolish the law or the prophets. When he says, do not think I have come or came, he He's talking about his incarnation, the purpose of his trip. Uh, as Jesus, we, as we celebrate at Christmas time, he came as a baby, but it's not just great that he was a baby, but that he came and he left. He left his place on the Father's side. He came to this earth and then took the, the penalty, the penalty for sinners like me and you. And now he's describing why he came, why he came. It's super important for us to think this through. And he says, don't think that I came to abolish the law of the prophets. And these terms uh, would have been the terms that they really used of the Hebrew scriptures, the Old Testament. It would be as if he was say, saying to them, I didn't come for you to set the word of God aside. The word that you already have, the, the revelation that I've already shown you, it's not that I've come to set this aside. Um, there, there are really three groups of religious leaders that are spoken of in the book of Matthew, three big ones. Um, there's the Sadducees, the scribes, and the Pharisees. Okay, Scribes and Pharisees, you'll see down at verse 20. Uh, Sadducees aren't mentioned, but I want to mention them and uh, maybe we can understand a few things about just the context of this. So when when people thought of religious leaders, they thought of Sadducees, scribes, Pharisees. And so as they were listening, I think that's what they had in mind. As they were hearing Jesus express what his kingdom was about, these are the, the, the religious uh, picture that they had as a backdrop. The Sadducees, we talked about those earlier, they came and they heard John the Baptist and that was confusing to them and uh, a strike to them. But the Sadducees didn't believe in anything supernatural. It's what they could see right here. And it wasn't so much scientific as it was pragmatic. Uh, they were concerned really about two things and God wasn't one of them. Okay. They, they acknowledged the scriptures. They acknowledged that it was the word of God, except for maybe the miracles and angels and demons. But, but what they, they, they couldn't believe in anything supernatural. The, this life wasn't beyond this. There was no resurrection. There was no afterlife. Angels, demons, things. These things were not a part of what they were. But the things that they were really excited about and the things that they sought most were political power and wealth. They fit right in here in our country, right? We like the idea of being powerful and, and significant as well as wealthy and have the comforts. That was the Sadducees. Then you have the scribes mentioned in verse 20. The scribes, uh, so other places referred to as lawyers, lawyer types. 
They were the scholars of the scripture. They were the ones who studied. And when there was a a question about something, it was the scribes they went to. And they were thought to be the ones who really knew what God had said. And then lastly, the Pharisees. The Pharisees being the ones that were really the true religious leaders of the day. The ones that everyone looked to as a model because they were good. They were good at keeping the law. They did this over and over. They prided themselves. They wanted to know what the scripture said, uh, not just to fill their mind with um, smart things, but so that they could be right. They could be the ones that kept it better than anyone else. So as uh, Jesus is speaking, I want to tell you that, that I think he wipes out all three groups in this passage. He just wipes them out. He sends them into a tailspin. Um, if he hadn't done it before, he does it now. And this morning, as, as we come, I, I want us to ask the question, where are we at in regards to Jesus? What is our relationship with him? Have we chosen some other method? Are we ones that are like the Sadducees that go, yeah, the Bible's nice and everything, but I'm whatever works. You know, I'm not really concerned about obeying or keeping anything. I just want whatever works. And so there's a sense I come to church and I'm coming because of something that it's going to make me feel good or that there's somehow going to be something that's beneficial to me. Or maybe we're like the scribes that uh, we're really uh, interested in educating ourselves and being smart about the scriptures. As we look, as we look at churches, we go, well, I want a teaching church because, you know, I'm a lot smarter than the most, the average person. And so I, you know, I, I need to go to the church where the smart guys go because I'm smart and I want to learn everything there is to know about the scriptures. Or maybe we're like the Pharisees. And as we look uh, to the scriptures and as we consider the things of God, we're concerned about being the best or being right or having the greatest idea or figuring out things or comparing ourselves to the people who sit next to us and saying, you know, uh, I'm pretty good, pretty good compared to them. That's the backdrop uh, of the text, and that's the backdrop of us here this morning. Jesus says, do not think that I have come to abolish the law and the prophets. Some would say even today that I don't need the Bible. I don't need the Bible because I have Jesus. I, you know, I have a relationship with Jesus and I, I, I don't need to go into all that Bible stuff. You know, it's just me and him, just me and him. Jesus would say to you, I have not come to abolish my word. I have not come to abolish or set aside the word of God. In fact, he said, I haven't come to abolish. I've come to fulfill it. If you think through those first chapters, those first four chapters, if you look back, you'll see over and over again, it's, it's the fingerprints of the plan of God, the prophecies of the Old Testament coming true in the person of Jesus. There, forgive me for using this word. Some of you theologically astute people will um, 
maybe send you in a tailspin, but uh, continuity is what we see here with the Old Testament and the New. As you see Jesus, some have seen the Old Testament as a, so Jesus is here, forget it, forget it. And Jesus says, don't forget it, don't forget it. There's a story happening here, and I'm the next chapter. And this is all connected. I am the fulfillment of what you have already heard. Jesus, as he comes, uh, he he wants us to know that he is not contradictory, contra, contradicting uh, the word, <laughs> the Old Testament, but rather that he is going to uh, give us the the message in a fuller sense. We'll look at the, the really the next six lessons or uh, six points as you look down in the passage. He's going to take some of the laws of the Old Testament and he's going to say, let me explain them to you. Let me tell you what the heart is behind them. Let me explain to you what my point was. And so in this, he is not to abolish, but to fulfill. Uh, I wonder... I could be totally wrong on this. You know, I close the Bible because I want to make a distinction. I wonder if he's addressing the, the Sadducees without calling them out by name. The, the other two are found later in the passage, but I wonder if he's calling out to those people who say, oh, you know, it, so we can really set those Old Testament scriptures aside. Those don't matter. I wonder as he shares this, he says, um, he's coming to fulfill them. And then he says in verse 18, For truly I say to you, until heaven and earth pass away, not an iota, not a dot, will pass from the law until all is accomplished. What he shares there is this, that there's a plan of God. It's part of Revealed in the Old Testament, it's continued on in the New. We, we see the pages of that even in the future. And he says, I have a plan. There's a plan of God. My Father has a plan. I'm in the midst of that. I have not come to have a different plan. This is being worked out. In fact, uh, he goes to the very smallest. Uh, it's his iota or dot. Um, some have suggested that and probably so, that as you study uh, in Hebrew, uh, if you've ever seen Hebrew written down, uh, you probably have had a headache because it looks like Chinese or something like that. Very hard. There's no resemblance to our alphabet here. And if you've ever studied it, uh, every Hebrew student that I know has had something like this, where it's been late at night, their eyes are tired, they're trying to figure out. They don't understand Hebrew. They're reading backwards and they're staring at the page and they're looking at all these dots and marks and such. And, and they're going, what is that? I, I can't, I, I don't know what it is. And it's just a bad copier. It's a speck. But what he is saying in the most minute sense, the, these markings, the, the smallest thing that you can find in the scripture He's saying that that won't pass away. That, that which is from God. See, we think of things as big and small. We, we think of things that are majors and minors. And yet Jesus, as he referred to the, the word, his words, he says, I, 
I want to tell you that they're not going to pass away until all is accomplished. This is not something of a temporary plan. And so as we come to the Word of God, uh, as we have the Old and the New Testament, I want to ask you, what's its place in your life? What's its place in your marriage and in your parenting and in your home? Jesus instructs us and He spoke to a, a group of people there and He speaks to us this morning. He says, it's not either or both. It's me and my word is what he would say to you. He says, it's relationship with me and I speak through my word. It's for you. It's for you to be instructed. It will not pass away. I'm part of this plan. As he looks at this, we can hear, uh, we're part of a culture today that seeks to throw away the word of God. Uh, we think that we've arrived. We think that we've progressed. We think that culture is different. Uh, every time we think culture is different, I want to encourage you about the book of Ecclesiastes where it says nothing, there's nothing new under the sun. They may figure out different tools to use in their sin. We might figure out different ways we can sin. But the heart of man has not changed. That sin is still prevalent. Prevalent uh, in us, in our home, in our kids, in our spouses, grandkids even. I, I wanted to tell that to you. Some of you think your grandkids are perfect. They're nice, but they're not perfect. Okay? And so as we look at this, we find ourselves needy. And God tells us that we need His Word as well. And Jesus says it's not either or, it's both. It's, it's both. It's part of the story. That Jesus coming is part of the unfolding of the plan of God. So don't throw it away. Don't throw it away. As we looked at verse 19, he goes on to reiterate this point. He says, Therefore, whoever relaxes one of the least of these commandments and teaches others to do the same will be called least in the kingdom of heaven. When you hear that... Uh, He's gone. He's gone a step further. He's not just saying that he isn't abolishing the word of God. What he's saying is this. He calls them to obey, to embrace, to do the word of God. I think so often, you know, when you look at the maybe the, the heart of a scribe loves to study the word of God, has a great library, is always doing research. I want to tell you there's a danger to Bible study. There's a danger to it. And it's arrogance. It's a puffing up. It's a filling of our head. And forgetting that God is communicating with us, His beloved children. And so He says, let me tell you about the values in my kingdom. Let me tell you what is to be treasured and what is not to be treasured. If you want to find that last place, most insignificant place, do this. Forget my word. Forget my word. If you want to be least valuable in the, in the kingdom of heaven, he says, forget about my word. And then he says this, and teach others to do the same, meaning to minimize the word of God, to, to shrink it down, to, to soft sell it, to set it aside and go, oh, it's not that important. And then to teach others to do the same. 
It's the idea. Did, did you know that you were involved in some counseling this week? Did you know that? Uh, every one of us counsels all the time. Did you know that? Your spouse, when, when you're in discussions and talking, uh, what you say is counsel to them. They might may not always listen. Some of you want us to listen and do exactly what we... But that, that, that's counseling going on. When you're speaking with your kids, when you're modeling, that's counseling going on. Let me tell you what to do. Let me encourage you about this. Let me help you solve this. That's counseling. And, and here Jesus connects. He says, for those who minimize it, for those who minimize it and teach others to minimize it, least in the kingdom of heaven, least. And then he goes on to say that the, um, the corresponding point as well. He says, uh, middle of verse 18, but whoever does them and teaches them will be called great in the kingdom of heaven. Did you get that? Now he says, whoever does the word of God, whoever embraces, I want to use that word embrace. He says, that's, that's what's valued in my kingdom is the embracing of the word of God. I want to use another word, the one who obeys, the one who obeys the word of God. That's what's valued in my kingdom. I want to ask you, um, when you read the Bible, uh, do you read it so that you can obey it? Are you searching for the commands? Are, are you looking for what God wants to correct where the areas that you need to repent? That's what the word of God is for. When you come into church on Sunday morning, are you hoping to be changed? Are you hoping to be changed? I realize that um, when we come into church, most of us look pretty good. Most of us have showered or done some kind of fixing to ourself. Um, you've even considered your wardrobe uh, and, and worn something that uh, is presentable. Uh, most of you even have put on a, a good personality as you walk through the door. And for the most part, we're thankful for that. I just want to tell you, okay? Um, we do a lot of cover-up. We do a lot of cover-up. And, and that's not all bad. That's not all bad. But the reality is that we come in pieces and need. Some of you this morning, uh, you were yelling at your kids before church. You, you, were, you, you were jerking them around because you wanted to be on time. Uh, we were, uh, you, you might have been bickering with your, some of you, some of you are here. Well, I didn't do that. Your grandparents, okay? Your kids don't live with you anymore. That's the only reason you weren't arguing with them. You had to call them to argue with them. We struggle. We're in need. And so we're in need of repentance. And as we go to the Word of God, it's not so that we can just get a, a little pick-me-up. But we need a, a reordering of our world. And so He calls us to obey. I want to point out one other thing. It's listen and obey to embrace the word of God ourselves and what? And teach, and teach, to pass it on. Uh, it's interesting to me that in the negative side, he says, 
uh, don't minimize and teach others to minimize. And then he says, for those who, who keep it or obey, and they do that for others too. What is this? You know what it is? It's parenting. It's parenting. It's that we're to obey it ourselves and then to pass it down. That, that, that's the way this is supposed to go. But it doesn't say parenting. You know why? Because some of you aren't actively involved in the parenting role. But, but you know what you're supposed to do? Obey and pass it on. You're supposed to be a model. This is the picture of the church. This is a picture of his kingdom. We're supposed to eat it first, to enjoy it for us to be changed, and then to be about the process where God is changing others. I'm excited about Vacation Bible School because that's an opportunity to do that. That we have an opportunity. If if you can, come this week. You say, well, I didn't sign up. Come, bring cookies. Everyone likes people with cookies. <laughs> Sit down and have a cookie. I want to tell you about Jesus. This is good stuff. You say, well, uh, you know, I don't have time. Make time. Figure it out. Look for opportunities. Look for ways for you to obey and then ways for you to pass it down. Super important. Jesus said, this is what is valued in my kingdom. This is what it is to be the greatest in my kingdom. A call for us to obey and to teach, to embrace and to teach. This is the way it works in his kingdom. Well, my first point was we were not to throw it away. My second point was to, it was a call to obey and to teach. And now my third point is just, wow, how can this be? You look down at verse 20. And this is what it says. For I tell you, unless your righteousness exceeds that of the scribes and the Pharisees, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. Everyone gulps. And we read it again. For I tell you, unless your righteousness exceeds that of the scribes and the Pharisees, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. He's just said, don't miss even the smallest point. Do not minimize. Do not reduce and explain away. Don't do it. And then he says this in verse 20, something that must have just wiped out everyone who was there. He says, the scribes and the Pharisees, the ones who know the word of God the best and the ones who keep the word of God the best. If, if anyone were thought to be perfect, it would have been the Pharisees. The scribes would have been a close second. The ones who are thought to be perfect the ones who are doing it all right, he says, unless your righteousness exceeds that, goes above that of the scribes and the Pharisees, you'll never enter my kingdom. As we read that, we're like, how can this be? As you think about it this morning, some of you are still struggling to understand what I'm saying. When you think of the one who is the best at being good, that was the Pharisees. 
the best keepers of the law, the one who followed what Jesus or what the Old Testament had said as God, this is what he wants. That was the Pharisees. They were the best. And he says, unless you're better than the best in your own righteousness, you'll never see the kingdom of heaven. Well, this morning, where do you fit at Bear Valley Church? In at Bear Valley Church, and those who have showed up here this morning, there's a little over a hundred here this morning. I'm just good at counting. Grew up in a Baptist church. We can count. It feels like there's about this many. Um, saw those dogs in the back. They count. You know, count them all. Um, where are you? Where are you? At being good, being righteous, doing what God wants. How do you fit in? Some of you are thinking right now, oh, better than them, but I'm not better than them over there. Uh, some of you are saying, you, you know, you're still in the school mode. School just got out and you say, I'm just a C student. So I'm at the 70th percentile there. Others of you say, I'm struggling. I'm below C level, drowning a little bit. Some of you say, I'm an A student. I get everything right. Be the best here at Bear Valley Church. Be the most righteous person here at Bear Valley Church. If Jesus were here today and he were communicating his message to the people in the book of Matthew as he communicated at the Sermon on the Mount was, unless your righteousness is better than the best you know, you'll never see the kingdom of heaven. You'll never have entrance. As I hear that, as, as we read that, we're like, how can this be? What do we do now? We're in trouble. Uh, if you're honest with yourself this morning, it's not even a discussion, is it, about your own righteousness? You say, I'd love to talk about my greatness and what I've done for God, but there ain't nothing to talk about. If you're honest, that's where you'd be. Some of us are living in a dream world and we say, well, we've done pretty good. Nobody's perfect. Nobody's perfect? You suggest that like you were really close. It's not true. This morning, um, as we come to this passage, um, we are left, we are left with this incredible need. I can't be righteous enough. I can't do it. I look at, to the scribes and the Pharisees. I look to the people of today and I say, I will never enter the kingdom of heaven. Never. Turn over to Philippians chapter 3. I want to share something super important for you and for me. When Jesus speaks of righteousness, that which is exceeding the righteousness of the scribes and the Pharisees, it can only mean one thing, that it has to be a different righteousness, a superior righteousness. If, as you look at uh, Philippians chapter 3, uh, you're hearing the testimony of Paul. And, and I want to point you to something. Uh, we won't go into depth, but if you look down 
at verse chapter 3, verse 5, um, Paul is blabbing on. He is inspired blabbing about his own accomplishments. Okay? We do this all the time. God used this as an inspired record to show us the way we look at ourselves. The Apostle Paul is talking about how great he was prior to Christ. And what does he share? He starts in verse 5. Um, and at the end of verse 5, he says, A Hebrew of Hebrews, as to the law, a what? Pharisee. A Pharisee. Okay? As Paul was one of these best of the best in keeping the law, he says, he, he says, I'm giving you my testimony. This was something that was great about me, is I was a Pharisee. And yet, as he goes on to talk about it, this was before Christ, okay? I want you to look at um, verse 8, okay? He says, Indeed, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. Because I consider it all uh, a loss. I throw it all away. Well, what does he throw away? Him being a Pharisee? All the righteous works that he had done in himself? All his position and all his accomplishments? Threw it away. Why? Because knowing Jesus Christ was better. It had something for him that he didn't have in himself. As you look at Philippians chapter 8, you see this, you see him. He says, he counts it all loss. Uh, I'm sorry, I lost my place. We're in verse 8. Middle of verse 8, he says this. For, for this sake, I suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish in order that I may gain Christ. Verse 9, this is super important for what we're talking about here this morning. And be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which comes through faith in Christ, the righteousness from God that depends on faith. He goes on to describe. Do you get it? Jesus said, you have to have a righteousness that exceeds that of uh, the scribes and the Pharisees. The scribes and the, uh, by the way, I, we don't know. There wasn't an attendance here. Definitely wasn't a Baptist church. I would have said who was there and who wasn't. But it doesn't tell us if the scribes and the Pharisees were there. But if they were there, um, they were fuming. They were fuming at this point. Because put it together. They didn't make it. They didn't make it. If they were if they were sitting in the back just checking them out and the scribes were going like this and I don't know if that's true, you know, and he says, You didn't make it into my kingdom. Let me tell you about my kingdom. Those guys didn't make it. See, the scribes and the Pharisees thought that they were the best, thought that they had kept it all, thought that they knew it all. And Jesus says, Unless it exceeds that, is superior to that, it doesn't cut it. For them, they said, uh, you know, then Jesus says we don't cut it. For everyone else, they go, I'm not even close. I can't even get there. And yet Jesus presents himself as the king. He says, let me 
Let me explain to you. In the book of Matthew is going to continue to unfold this message of Jesus that we need a righteousness that comes not from our self-effort. You get that? He's already talked about it. It's not a righteousness that comes from myself. If you think, if you think this morning, I'm good enough for heaven, I've done enough that's good to get into heaven, you are wrong. You're wrong. Not because I say so, but because Jesus said, you've got to be right enough in yourself that exceeds the scribes of the Pharisees, and yours doesn't. It doesn't. And so there's got to be a superior righteousness. And where is that found? It's found in Jesus. It's found as you put your faith and trust in him. This morning, uh, if God's been working in your heart and you say, um, I don't know if I'm going to enter his kingdom because my righteousness isn't better than that of the scribes and the Pharisees. We need to talk. You need to do business with God. You need to accept his son, Jesus, and his sufficient uh, payment for your sins that you can be a part of the kingdom of heaven. I'd love to talk to you afterwards. Um, Let's pray, asking God to continue to work in our heart. God, thank you for this morning. I pray that your word would uh, resonate in our hearts, that we would embrace it. Um, God, I pray that we would find ourselves in your son Jesus and not in our own works. That we would not point to a righteousness that comes from what we're doing, but a righteousness that comes because of what Jesus did on the cross. God, do your work in your church. Continue to grow us to love you more, to embrace and to teach others. We thank you in Jesus' name. Amen.